and welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide, joined by Sam Monson today. Brad out again on a Friday, but Sam, how are we doing? Doing well, Doug. How about you? I am doing quite well. Yeah, it seems like Brad's got a lot of friends or something. He's have got plans without me. He's not inviting no. me. What are you going to do about it? But let's start off the show talking about game that happened last night between the Steelers and the Browns. Thought it was actually a little bit better than it had any any business being. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a pretty good game. I, I think division games are almost always fun, even when it doesn't look like, you know, on paper, either the teams or both the teams are going to live up to it. So, yeah, I thought that was a fun game. And in particular, you know, you look on paper again, Mitchell Trubisky versus Jacoby Brissett. That's what's really turning people off before the game. But both quarterbacks, I thought, played pretty well. Jacoby Brissett played really well. And Trubisky, I think, was fine, even though, again, the Steelers' offense didn't quite do what it was supposed to. Yeah, for sure. And let's talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Mike Tomlin came out after the game. He was asked if the Steelers were going to make changes at quarterback and an offensive play caller. Never a great sign when both those questions come out at once. He said definitively no. So we've got the answer as to whether the Steelers will make a change before their next game coming up against the uh, New York Jets. After kind of one of those mini buys from a Thursday to a Sunday. But the question is, should the Steelers make a change at quarterback? Because they did draft Kenny Pickett 16th overall in the 2022 NFL draft. Kind of had some mixed reviews during training camp, but he wound up grading out very well for us during the preseason. So, Sam, I'll turn the question over to you. I wrote about it today. But do you think the Steelers should make a change at quarterback before this week's or against before next week's game against the Jets? Yeah, Pickett didn't just grade well in preseason, but I thought he showed something that was fundamentally different to what you would have expected going into preseason. My big concern with Pickett is his average time to throw in college was like 3.2 seconds, which is an eternity, one of the <laughs> longest in college. And that's a number that usually goes up when you go from college to the NFL. And if he was going to run at that kind of level or that kind of pace at this level, you were saying, look, that's just not going to work. Like the offensive line will get murdered. You will get murdered consequently. But in preseason, he got the ball out of his hands quickly. He was able to run fast, efficient, short passing and look good doing it. So I think preseason changed my opinion in terms of when he can start, which I think is whenever they need to turn to him. You know, he, I don't see any reason you need to wait. So then the question becomes, you know, has Trubisky played his way to the bench? And I don't think he has. I thought he might have at this point in the season, but he's been okay. I don't think he's been by any stretch the, the biggest problem there in Pittsburgh. I think the issues are way more schematic than they are Mitchell Trubisky just not being good or not playing well. Um, but he does present a fairly you know easy scapegoat for people looking for places to place blame. And it also that relates kind of to the, to the contract that the Steelers signed him to this offseason as well as offseason as well. Very easy to get out of that deal next year for the Steelers if they did want to turn things over to uh, Kenny Pickett early this season. And yeah, I mean he played well in that game against the Browns. I think he got an 80.0 grade somewhere around there from uh, from PFF and. It really pretty much all of his grades, his metrics this season, right above average. He's got the big-time throws, not making a lot of turnover-worthy plays. He's actually throwing pretty far on an average depth of target uh, basis. But the Steelers rank 
very low in EPA per play, despite the fact that, uh, you know, they've got an offensive line that's also protecting Mitchell Trubisky quite well. So, Sam, what do you actually see as being the issues with the Steelers offense? Because clearly something is broken there, but doesn't really seem to be Trubisky. They've got Najee Harris at running back. They've got three good wide receivers and Deontay Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, um, and and, uh, and George Pickens. They've got a tight end and Pat Frymouth. So what's the issue there for the Steelers' offense? Yeah, I think it really is scheme and, and play calling. And the, you watch it, and it just it isn't doing anything to put its players in a particularly good position to succeed. I think that's the bottom line. They have personnel that can win. And it's a lot of ISO routes. It's guys being expected to win one-on-one. It's, it's mirrored pass concepts. It's plays that don't appear to be connected to the down and distance. You know, it's just, oh, here's a play we like, so let's run that one, even though it's third and short, and all the routes are, you know, breaking at eight yards and all this kind of thing, or the reverse. You know, it's third and long, but we're going to dump it off to a running back in the flat. Like, this is the same stuff that was happening last year, and I think everybody kind of put it down to – just the last vestiges of what Ben Roethlisberger had in the tank, but this might actually just be what the offense looks like. At which point I think something way more fundamental than swapping quarterbacks needs to change for them to get better and to start looking better. Yeah. I guess the question there becomes which change do they make first? Because it, it could it be a change at an offensive play caller at offensive coordinator, their quarterback coach, Mike Sullivan does have a history of being an offensive coordinator with the New York giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those offenses weren't particularly high-powered, so I'm not sure how big of a uh, an upgrade that would be going from Canada uh, to Mike Sullivan. Or do they just make that change at quarterback, see what Kenny Pickett can give you? The issue there, though, is they play the New York Jets this week. That's great. I think that's a good matchup for mm. a rookie quarterback out of the gate. Then it gets very difficult. Then they've got the Buffalo Bills. They've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Miami Dolphins, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Then they've got a bye week. Then things get a little bit more easy against New Orleans Saints, Atlanta Falcons, some teams that aren't quite as high-powered on offense and, and quite as di- difficult on defense. So can you wait to that point by having Mitchell Trubisky be your quarterback, despite the fact that they're probably going to lose a lot of these games coming up? At what point does Mike Tomlin have to make the change if they're you know two and six, whatever it is at that point of the bye week? Yeah, I would imagine you don't want to start Pickett against any of those teams that come (laughs) after the New York Jets, you know, and even if they're on a run of horrible losses and bad performances on offense, it feels like you're either starting in this week or you're waiting until the bye and the bye might give them, you know, a good or a good excuse to make that move, which is at that point. You know, we've lost a ton of games. We're clearly not in the hunt this year. You know, we're going to have the first bad season in Pittsburgh for years. So now's the time to turn it over to the rookie. And it felt like, you know, when Trubisky signed that deal, it's the Mike Glennon contract adjusted for inflation, you know, and he got right. he got four games. Mike Glennon got four games and then Trubisky was the quarterback. So yep. ironically, you know, Trubisky's been on both ends of that contract now in his NFL career. But now is the point, or I think you've got to wait until you get past all those horrible defenses. And it does sound like, based on Mike Tomlin's comments, that probably will come after those games against those difficult defenses. So it might be a while before the Steelers actually get to see Kenny Pickett. We'll see if they make that offensive coordinator change before then, because I think that's at least something worth experimenting with. Uh, Let's stay in that Steelers-Browns game real quick and talk about the Browns. Jacoby Brissett looks 
pretty much as good as he ever has throughout his NFL career so far. He had a really good game against the Steelers. Certainly not saying that there's going to be some sort of quarterback controversy in, in Cleveland, but I do wonder if we underrated the Browns a little bit coming into the season based on the fact that Deshaun Watson wouldn't be there for so long. And when Deshaun Watson comes back in, does this team look like they could actually be Super Bowl contenders, maybe not Super Bowl favorites, but really in the mix uh, when they get an upgrade there at quarterback? Yeah, Brissett, he's an interesting quarterback because he, I think, is one of the best, if not the best, backup quarterbacks in the NFL. But by definition, that means you don't want him starting, right? Because you don't want the bottom 10 starting quarterbacks in the NFL starting, let alone the best backup in the league. So um, the issue with Brissett is the more games he has to play, the worse the overall baseline is going to be. So we've got a couple of games now this week and the week before where he actually looked very good. Um, And if the suspension for Deshaun Watson had stayed at six games, you're like, yeah, look, you look at their schedule. It's entirely possible the Browns could win four out of those six and be in really good position by the time Watson comes back at 11 games. All right. It's been a nice start, but, and they should probably win next week, right. Against Atlanta. So the record is, is going to start well, but then the schedule gets a lot tougher and it's entirely plausible that Brissett loses a bunch of these games, looks bad. And, you know, we're like, this conversation sounds ridiculous, but if he continues playing reasonably well and he's put them, you know, maybe not in a sort of, maybe they're one of the best records in the NFL, but, and because of the AFC and the AFC of the division that they're in in particular, they're still kind of on the brink, right? They don't have a, a large amount of margin for error. And then Watson comes back he looked terrible in preseason. Okay, it's right. only preseason, True. but he hasn't played now for the guts of two years. Yep. And you can probably assume that there will be some rust that needs to be shaken off with Watson that might take a game, might take two games. So if Brissett's playing well at that point, I'm 100% not saying that he's a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. But if you know that Watson might have to go through a couple of games of like knocking the rust off and playing badly before he kind of gets himself yeah. back into NFL readiness... Those might be a couple of games the Browns don't really have to lose at that point. And that, I think, becomes a very tricky decision for them to or a very tricky situation for them to juggle. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation. I wonder if they'd even I don't know if you could do a quarterback platoon or something when Deshaun Watson comes back. I mean, you would almost I don't know. It would be almost difficult not to having him having to take off so many games on the suspension and I can't imagine, I mean, if the Browns are Super Bowl contenders and if Sean Watson comes back and looking like himself, I don't know, maybe the NFL at that point uh, regrets not giving him the full season suspension because I'm not sure if they want to go through two sure. weeks of a Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson as a starting quarterback. Uh, let's keep it on the quarterback conversation here. Just right off the bat, I think it's interesting that it feels like so many quarterbacks this year have gotten off to slow starts relative to what we might expect out of them. Do you think there's anything bigger to that, or is it just by chance that all these quarterbacks aren't quite performing the way that we expected them to early in the season? No, I haven't sort of seen a big pattern in it, um, yeah. but I, I I think you're right. There's been a lot of quarterbacks that are playing way below the level that we would have expected them to. Derek Carr is the most obvious one to me. Yep. Derek Carr has got a PFF grade under 50 right now. Um, I think he has one big-time throw and six turnover where he plays through the yep. first two weeks of the season. Last year, he had nine big-time throws after two weeks. Like He was leading the NFL in big-time throws for uh, much of the season. And you think, well, okay, now you get Devontae Adams coming in. You've got the best wide receiver in the NFL added to an offense that was already pretty good. 
as long as the the offensive line isn't a complete and unmitigated disaster, you know, you're teaming him up with Josh McDaniels as well. This this should be a great connection. Um, maybe a career year for Derek Carr. And it just we haven't seen that guy so far through two weeks. That that's one of the most unexplained ones to me that just doesn't make any sense so far. Yeah, I would add a few more in the mix there as well. Uh, Justin Herbert, I think, hasn't been playing quite as well as we expected him to early this season, but you've got the Keenan Allen injury. There's some other things going on there in the offense. Tom Brady, another one, lots of injuries on the offensive line at yeah. wide receiver this week. He's going to be without Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, so those struggles probably will continue. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen there at left tackle so far with Donovan Smith. Uh, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, like you mentioned, Matt Ryan, uh, you got Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, Justin Fields. All of these guys, I would say, playing a little worse than we expected them to. So uh, I know I ran through that list pretty quickly, but is there is there one or two quarterbacks that's gotten off to a slow start that you think is not that much of a concern, there are excuses for it, that you're fairly confident will bounce back before the season, you know, by midseason? Yeah, I'm not worried at all about Tom Brady. Um, I, th- I think the injuries that they've been dealing with, he still played fine, you know, given the fact yeah. that he's been down almost all of his receivers at one point. He's, he's lost several offensive linemen already uh, from an offensive line that was one of the best in the league. They were getting badly beat up by Micah Parsons, basically, when they played Dallas. Like, I think as soon as that group starts to get healthy, particularly the receivers, Brady will look fine. I'm not concerned about that. I think as well, as bad as he's looked, I think Burrow bounces back, you know, to some large degree. Again, that offensive line has been wrecked the first couple of weeks. Now, they've been wrecked by TJ Watt and Micah Parsons, which is about as tough as it's going to get, you know, for any offensive line. This week, I think, probably tells you a lot about Cincinnati. They're going up against a team that that has pass rushers. They don't have TJ Watt and Micah Parsons, but they've got enough, you know, to cause problems. So if he goes out there and the kind of revamped offensive line probably without Lyle Collins, admittedly. But if the line still looks like a disaster and Burrow's getting sacked six times again, then the Bengals might have some major problems. But if it kind of reverts back and they, he's got a bit of time to work with this week, you know, I think you probably start to see more like last year's Joe Burrow again. Do you think that is the biggest issue then for the Bengals? Because they're another team where they – they improved their offensive line this offseason. Mm-hmm. They've still got most of their, you know, I know that they've had some injuries at wide receiver, but not really major ones. Overall, that looked like a team that had improved over the offseason. And now they've come out at 0-2. So do you think it is just mostly Joe Burrow, you know, feeling a little bit of extra pressure from those guys, TJ Watt and Micah Parsons, that that's the biggest issue in the offense? Or is there something else that you think could keep them from being – you know, those Super Bowl contenders that a lot of people expected them to be. I mean, I think that was the biggest issue in the first two weeks, but I do think that people underestimated or understated how hard the regression was likely to hit from last year. Um, They overachieved last year. We kind of know that just by the way the team looked. But when you start looking at the numbers, and like last year, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, you know, everything's going amazingly. They're able to beat teams like the Chiefs. They're able to win in shootouts. I think we kind of forgot where the baseline was because that was all driven off these incredible big plays and explosive plays. When you look at like where the Bengals ranked in terms of a bunch of offensive categories, you know, simple things um, and more complex things like EPA per play, they were basically an average offense, but they were sky high in explosive plays, which we know, you know, are very volatile transient thing that come and go. And if those disappear for a stretch, 
you're looking at an average offense. And that's that's an issue because you sort of say, okay, we improved the offensive line, so that won't be a problem last or next year. But the offense still needs to get better. Otherwise, you're still just an average group, and that's not enough to get back to a Super Bowl when you look at what's what else is around in the AFC this year. So weeks one and two, I think they ran up against a couple of buzzsaws who yeah. just destroyed that offensive line. But I think there's a very real chance that this team won't be anywhere near as good as it was a year ago simply because of how much of an outlier the group was last season. As of early uh, this week, the Bengals had the seventh best odds to win the Super Bowl in the AFC. So I think that kind of tells you where they stand right now in the AFC. Kind of one of those fringe playoff teams. We'll see how they can finish things out. Uh, as far as the quarterbacks who have gotten off to slow starts that we have a little bit less confidence can bounce back this season. I thought the ones that had a little bit less of an excuse for their early season performance, Russell Wilson, uh, Derek Carr, who we talked about earlier, Matt Ryan, uh, Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, and Justin Fields. Is there anyone in that group that you'd be concerned about that you think <laughs> that this might be what they are this season? I think a few of those guys are probably in trouble. I, I think Matt Ryan, simply with the situation around him, that offensive yeah. line is not as good as it's been in years past, and he needs it more than he's ever needed it. Um, the receivers aren't enough yet, and it's looked worse because Michael Pittman was out, and without Michael Pittman, it's almost nobody. Yep. Uh, so I think Matt Ryan might have problems. I think Baker Mayfield is dealing with a similar problem that – Mitchell Trubisky and Pittsburgh are dealing with that offensive scheme. It's just a mess and it's not helping anybody out. So I think Baker Mayfield is going to be bad all season long. Um, and I think Justin Fields just doesn't have enough talent around him. Like he might be trying to pull miracles on his own every single play, but the offensive line is bad. The receivers are bad. There's just not enough there to help Justin Fields who as talented as he is and as capable of spectacular plays is still like a massively flawed quarterback prospect. Like he's not, you know, it's not like you're transplanting a guy that's already a superstar with a weird skill set into that offense and saying, all right, now drag it forward somewhere. You're taking a guy who is, you know, brand new to this and is still trying to figure out how he plays at this level and expecting him to carry everybody else. Definitely. Let's get into some injuries that are going around the NFL. Uh, one game that I wanted to touch on was the Bills and Dolphins. Bills now, Notre Davis White, uh, because he's still recovering from that torn ACL. And then Micah Hyde and Dane Jackson also both out. So we're probably looking at two rookie cornerbacks for the Bills going up against Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, and that Miami Dolphins offense. I know the Bills are a wagon. I know that they are mm. clearly looking like the best team in the NFL so far. But the Dolphins were extremely high-powered in week two. Is there any concern about how the Bills defense can hold up through these injuries against a Dolphins offense that's, you know, probably the fastest in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, there has to be, right? Like, you you look at the Bills and you say, all right, they're the best team in the NFL right now, justifiably so. They look even further ahead of the rest of the pack than they did in preseason when they were a prohibitive favorite for the Super Bowl and all this kind of thing. But one thing that can derail that kind of juggernaut quickly is injuries, you know, to any team. Um and the Bills all of a sudden have got a bunch of them concentrated in one area, and that's always even worse. It's a compounding or a magnifying problem. So the one thing I'll say about their defense is it's usually very well coached. You know, that's that's something that will help in terms of mitigating those problems. And it's a scheme, I think, that protects defensive backs generally, you know. Yep. So even if they're even if they're missing both starting safeties, I, I think it's 
maybe the smallest problem for the Bills than it would be for any other team in the NFL because that is a very helpful scheme to those guys. So, But, yeah, look, you're going up against a Miami team that has two of the most explosive playmakers in the NFL is a system itself that's a juggernaut and a real pain to try and diagnose and deal with. So this will be the biggest test that Buffalo has had so far, um, and we'll see if they're still able to, you know, roll through them. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Tom Brady, the Buccaneers, that Packers game. Packers will be without Sammy Watkins. He's out of this game. Alan Lazard did return to practice. But that Buccaneers wide receiver core is a complete mess right now. Uh, as I mentioned before, Chris Godwin not playing. Mike Evans is, is suspended. Julio Jones looks like he's probably going to be a game-time decision in this game. Uh, Russell Gage has been dealing with some injuries. I mean, is is Cole Beasley the answer in this game? Or can you really – I don't know. I mean, how many more – did you expect this to happen, I guess would be the question, when they had all those wide receivers at the beginning of the season? Could you have been able to foresee the fact that now they're having to sign Cole Beasley off the street to, to try to help out that wide receiver core? No, I mean, that's the, the, this is why you sort of bring in a guy like Julio Jones, right? It's because, right. oh, if we lose both uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, then we can turn to a guy like Julio Jones, and he doesn't even need to be himself long-term. He can just show up and be Julio for one game, but now like, you're without him as well. Like, there's just nobody. This this game, period, doesn't have any wide receivers. Green Bay yeah. is basically out of them as well. I saw a picture tweeted that was like, this is the current healthy every healthy receiver the Packers have. And it was like four guys, two of whom were practice squad players, you know? Yes. There's nobody healthy in this game. Um, and I think it's it's absolutely a real possibility that uh, Cole Beasley comes in and has a big role in this game. Um, yeah. And the way that Cole Beasley wins, you know, that slot role underneath uh, gets separation extremely well at that level. It's a trust thing for Brady. Brady, I think even though he's been in the building five minutes, Brady will trust that Cole Beasley will be open and be in the right spot in a way that he doesn't trust Scotty Miller or, you know, doesn't trust Jalen Darden. So I could absolutely see, even if it's a limited package or whatever he knows of the playbook, that Cole Beasley ends up getting like a bunch of targets and has a significant role in this game. Yeah, I know it's it's kind of a convenient thing to say, but I did hear that you know, Cole Beasley turned down more money because he wanted to play with Tom Brady. Not sure if that's true or not, but uh, that's at least what what one camp was saying. And and the Patriots tried to sign Cole Beasley back in 2019. I think that Cole Beasley has wanted to play with Tom Brady for a while. And it is kind of interesting to me that obviously Tom Brady's had good wide receiver core in in Tampa, but he hasn't really had that guy. He hasn't had that that Wes Welker, that Danny Amendola. And maybe he gets that on Cole Beasley and he's continuing to have success, uh, obviously, without that type of player in their offense. But, uh, yeah, pretty fascinated to see what happens there uh, with uh, with Cole Beasley there in, in Tampa Bay. Uh, some other injuries to go through. One that was kind of interesting to me, uh, James Conner, a game-time decision in that Rams-Cardinals game. Are you surprised at all that it, they've essentially gone with – it's been Eno Benjamin and then they brought in Daryl Williams uh, to be the backup – basically in week two, how much faith would you have in, in Eno Benjamin or in Daryl Williams if James Conner can't go in this game? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Cardinals offense in general is going to have some problems this week. Yeah. Um, you know, the Rams defensive front is still good. The Cardinals offense has not really been firing itself this season, except when they just went 
you know, okay, Kyler, figure it out. Like, just make something happen. Run around as long as you need to and find a play. The problem is it's very hard to lean into that schematically and sort of say, all right, what can I do to improve your ability to do that? Because it's just, like, it's sandlot football. You know what I mean? It's literally not playing within the structure of an offense. So, but that's the best thing they're doing right now is the stuff that's completely outside of the structure of the offense. One big difference this week from last week, if you're going to try and do that, is you have less time to do that when Aaron Donald is right. on the other side of the, of the, the defensive line. You know what I mean? For you sure. could Kyler Murray could run around literally all day and there isn't a single player on the Raiders defensive line that would catch him. You don't have that kind of time when Aaron Donald is hunting you down. He's going to get you. It's just a case of how long you give him to do it. So, yeah, I, I think overall, even if James Conner was there, I think they're going to have some problems trying to run the ball. Um, and I, I just don't think it's a good matchup for any of those running backs. Uh, one other game that I'll actually be covering because I want to watch Lamar Jackson, want to see what he can do against the Patriots defense is that Ravens Patriots game. And Jacoby Myers was didn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday, limited on Friday. Uh, he's questionable to play against the Ravens, but and that Patriots wide receiver core has been really weird, really unpredictable. Jacoby Myers has really been the only constant who's been performing for them. Mac Jones already off to kind of a slow start. If he has to go up against Ravens defense without Jacoby Myers, he's got Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, uh, Nelson Aguilar, little Jordan Humphrey has been playing a big role in that offense. It just feels like that's not going to be, this isn't going to be the game where Mac Jones can, can regain what he was able to do in his rookie season. And I also wanted to ask you a little bit about that Patriots offense in general. Obviously you've got, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge running the show there. Not sure how much you've been able to study the Patriots offense, but what's just been your initial takeaway of the Patriots offensive play calling, how Patricia, Judge, and Belichick have been doing running that offense? Yeah, you can see what they're doing in the run game. I think that it makes sense given they have a very good offensive line. Like that group is built to run the ball. That whole part makes sense, but there's very little synergy between that and the passing game, which seems to have taken a backseat and just sort of deteriorated. And I think that was always the risk when you go from a coach like Josh McDaniel, uh, Josh McDaniels, who, you know, whatever we think about how his head coaching tenure went the first time and how it's about going the second time, he's clearly one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL and a great sort of partner for, for the quarterback, you know, a guy that can go there and figure problems out and work out how you're going to do certain things and help the quarterback along in his development, whether it's an old hat like Brady or whether it's a younger guy like Mac Jones and going away from that to the combination of Patricia and Joe judge, you know, this year is such a risk when you're talking about a quarterback that was good as a rookie but now he needs to take a step forward in year right. two and show like where his ceiling lies. And Mac Jones hasn't looked good this season at all. And actually, if you look back, the tail end of last year wasn't very good either. Like right. he had one really good game in there against Jacksonville, maybe. Jacksonville. I forget who it was against. Yep. Um, but outside of that, like week 10 onwards or so, his grades were pretty ugly. And he didn't really have the kind of performances that he we saw earlier in the season from him now he played so well early that his grade for the year kind of held pretty high but i think that masks the fact that you know it's it tailed off the longer we went and the fact that it's continued down that track is a pretty big concern for the patriots who would have thought they had their quarterback you know certainly halfway through the year you're like perfect we got the next guy fell into our lap um so i think they've got some problems and in this 
The Ravens game is an intriguing one because mm-hmm. I think you can attack that Baltimore defense, but the way that they're getting beat right now is the worst area for the Patriots. Like you need to attack them deep and outside, which yeah. is just not what the Patriots are doing right now. Every now and again, Mac Jones sort of hoists a hopeful Chad Pennington deep ball, you know, just a rainbow down the sideline, hopes he can drop it into a bucket, but they're not really attacking teams deep down the field. And that's where the Ravens, I think, are at their weakness, weakest at the moment. Yeah, there's not a lot of creativity happening in the Patriots offense as well. Not a lot of, you know, motion during the snap, not a lot of RPOs, not a lot of play action. There's plenty of ways, I think, to fix this offense. But, you know, a lot of people were because I'm in the New England area, because I used to cover the Patriots. I think there was a lot of questions about how much Mac Jones would improve this season. And I wasn't quite sure if he was going to regress, but. I was pretty I was pretty sure that he'd probably stay on about the same level as he played last year because of the new offense, because of cha- taking J- uh, Josh McDaniels out of the mix. Because, yeah, they made some improvements to the offense, but they didn't get that big-time playmaker for Mac Jones, either through the draft or in free agency. So then that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And there certainly are some fixes that could be made there, but you would have liked to have seen Mac Jones playing better to start off the season want to close this out talk about the 49ers broncos game real quick uh do you have any best bets for this game all started off i was looking at the pff green line i'm kind of feeling the jeff wilson under 71 and a half rushing and receiving yards uh jeff wilson's a i think he's a decent player think that you might start to see some other running backs getting some play, despite the fact that they've seen some injuries there. Um, but I just think that the, you could probably make some upgrades there at the running back position and kind of feeling that Jeff Wilson gets under on that. Do you have any best bets for this game? You are wading into the the just nightmare that is trying to predict the 49ers <laughs> backfield at any All point. All in on Jordan Mason. Yeah. <laughs> Madness. Um it's interesting. I was looking through this game and I, it's a really tough game for bets across the board, whether it's, yeah. you know, on the team level with the spread, the money line, whatever, versus the the props. This is a very tough game. The one that I like is Russell Wilson over 32 and a half pass attempts. Um, and you look at the first two games, he's got 45, 31, uh, and the 49ers have the best run defense in the NFL, according to yards per attempt so far. Like they have a tough defensive front. I don't think Denver's going to get a ton of joy trying to run the ball on them. I think there's a decent chance that the 49ers are able to put up some points, particularly if, you know, a couple of missing players for Denver do in fact turn out to be missing. Patrick Sertan, Jerry Judy, both questionable. Um, you know, if the 49ers can get a lead, Den- Russell Wilson isn't playing well, but he's still by far the best thing Denver have going for them in terms of trying to dig themselves out of a hole. So I think there's a pretty good chance Russell Wilson goes over that total. That's probably a smart bet. And with the way things have started for Nathaniel Hackett, I think uh, probably the best bet is for him to just let Russell Wilson <laughs> cook. Is there, so- a, is there a prop on whether or not the crowd is going to be chanting down the play clock or calling run pass? I I, are you surprised at all? Like, not to keep you here longer, but are you surprised at all by how poorly things yeah. have started there for Nathaniel Hackett? I mean, like, it's it's almost something that we've never seen before, really, or not that I can recollect a head coach having such a hard start to the season. It's not even it, it's not even just the sort of hard start. It's the thing. Most of the things that are going wrong are like the fundamental, basic, you know, like day one kind of what what yeah. is happening here stuff. It's. I, I've never seen a home crowd calling down the play clock to try and stop the offense delay of gaming again, you know, like it's crazy. And I, 
you know, people, I think a lot of the times don't sort of appreciate that being head coach is like six different jobs in one, particularly in game day. And it feels like one or two of those jobs just not getting done right now. Now, ultimately the responsibility for that has to lie with Hackett because it's his job, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's the one screwing it up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they have a guy doing those things or if they, if they don't, they need to get one ASAP. If they do, that guy could be screwing it up and he needs to get changed, you know, whatever. But either way, it, it doesn't really matter in terms of it's ultimately Hackett's responsibility. But like, these are things that like these should be like the basic things. Like the foundation is here. And then we can go on to making sure we call the right plays and, you know, not screwing up the offense. But the fact that they can't get lined up or they can't make a decision about whether they're going for fourth down or not until it's too late. This is, this is crazy. Like this is really low level, basic stuff. I, I, I don't, I, it's been a long time since I've seen a head coach struggle with this kind of thing so much. Yeah. I mean, I think that some people don't understand that there are guys in the coach's booth in head coach's ears about these things. I mean, yeah. Bill Belichick had Ernie Adams for a number of years. Josh McDaniels, even with the Patriots had uh, Nick Casario and everyone made a big deal last year when David Coley said that Nick Casario was, was on area. the headset in the coach's booth. But I mean, if it helps, then you've got to have someone up there and that guy's got to do his job well. So maybe it's Nathaniel Hackett not knowing that he needs that guy. He's He was a pretty inexperienced, I'd say, coordinator coming in here. And that might be what's showing itself. But if you're Broncos ownership, you didn't hire Nathaniel Hackett. You probably aren't feeling that great about the hire at this point. No. Also, you know, I, I heard some... Um... I can't remember where I heard this, but they were talking about what he brought to the table, you know, in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And it was it was like, you know, he he cracked jokes and Rodgers liked them. You know, (laughs) it's like they played Jeopardy in the quarterback. Yeah, it's like, all right. I mean, that's great. You know, it, it, it if it rejuvenated Aaron Rodgers, more power to you. That's fantastic. But it's not necessarily that applicable to Denver right now. Like I would love to have heard he brought some really fantastic, you know, smart schematic changes that turned Aaron Rodgers back into an MVP. But it's like, no, he just like Rodgers liked him because he cracked jokes and told Star Wars stories and stuff. It's like, ah, that just that doesn't you know, that's not helpful in this situation right now. Yeah, I think it's also probably not that helpful for Russell Wilson because there's probably not two more like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are both kind of interesting guys, but not in the same way, I would say. Well, also, you know, Russ is off in his own office somewhere. He's not even hearing the jokes, you know? (laughs) Exactly. All right, Sam, this was great. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, You can follow Sam on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Keep it on PFF.com for all of your news and analysis. Sign up for PFF Plus. That is $79.99 a year. Download the PFF app and make sure to subscribe to PFF Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also subscribe to the PFF NFL Podcast, PFF NFL Daily, where you can hear Sam and my cousin Steve talking about football every single day. So we will talk to you guys again very soon. 